I think it's pretty clear, um, if you've been here at least today, you know where we, uh, that we are in the middle. I always say we're in the middle of a beginning. I don't know if that's really the right way to say it, of a campaign that's about to start. And so in case you weren't here last week, we started this series just a couple weeks. Uh, we decided we needed some time as a church. And this was when I say we, I mean myself and the campaign team thought it'd be a really good idea for us to spend a couple weeks diving into God's word and specifically diving into God's word to say, God, help us with this. Help us see what your word says. Encourage us. Give us, give us some wisdom on all this that we're going through. This is a difficult time. This is one of those moments where I'm sure a lot of us have a lot of questions. We're even some worry that can crawl up inside of our hearts and minds. And, and we don't know what to do exactly. What would God want us to do? And so we spent last week looking at uh, the book of Nehemiah. And if you weren't here last week, uh, I'm going to kind of give a real fast recap because I think it's important for us to, to get that as well. But we looked at, at this incredible story of Nehemiah and specifically at the amazing compassion that this man had for a people that he had never met before. But he had this, this compassion for them because he knew that they were in great trouble and disgrace. And so I challenged us to, to log three things into our brains uh, as we seek this, this moment in time, as we find ourselves in this, this moment in time. And the three things were this. The first one was that our hearts should break for the broken and the lost. We have to understand how much people mean to God, especially lost people, how important they are to God. We can never forget or lose focus of our mission as the church. And, and it's, it's easy to do. It would be easy for us to just become comfortable with what we do here and lose sight of what we're really supposed to be called to do. Spreading the gospel message, reaching the lost people that are in this world, and certainly those that live amongst us in the community in which we live. The second thing we learned was, hopefully we're going to take away from that, is that we've got to ask God for help. You know, we need to be praying for direction, for wisdom, for courage, for faith. I mentioned that in Nehemiah 13 chapters, there's 12 prayers from Nehemiah. It's obvious he was setting an example for us. It's so important that we go to God. We seek him. It's why this 24 hours of prayer is coming this weekend. We just believe in the power of prayer. And it's so important for us to make sure our minds and our hearts are right and that we've listened to God, we've heard from God, and we're willing to respond to whatever it is he's calling each and every one of us to do. And so We've got to ask God for help. And the third one was, through the sacrifices of his people, God accomplishes his purposes. Um, God does not want us to carry out his plan in isolation. This is why he created the church. This is why he brought you and I, as individuals, together. It's why we live here. It's why we come to church here. And sometimes we're like, it's so crazy how I even ended up here in this place and in this church. Whatever that may be, God has a plan. And he's brought us together for such a time as this. And I truly believe he is using, and I believe he will continue to use this campaign to grow us spiritually and to accomplish his purposes. And so um, we started with that last week. And now the story that we're going to read and study this morning, I believe, is just more proof of, of what we've been talking about. Today's text is going to be probably a whole lot more familiar to you than last week. There's probably some of you like, who's Nehemiah? What's the story? Most of us here this morning will probably have heard at least of the overall uh, name of the story. Uh, most of us will also probably have a little bit of detail behind what that was and what that kind of looked like. Um, but I'm hoping that though it's familiar to us, because this is another danger, though it's familiar to us, that we're still going to hopefully see this 
from maybe a, a little bit of a different angle this morning, a little bit of a different perspective than we have before. Which, by the way, is something I love about God's Word. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that you, depending on what you're going through, depending on the season of life that you are in, God's Word has this way of speaking into that moment or moments in a way uh, that it may have never before, even though you've read it time and time again. I'm sure you've been there before. You read it, and you're like, wow, I've read this before, but today this speaks to me differently than it ever has before. And that's because this, is, this Word is alive and active it is, it's amazing what God does, how he communicates to us through his word. And of course, my hope and prayer this morning is that this text is going to speak to us, to our current situation in such a way that it's going to bring hope, and it's going to bring peace, and it's going to bring some clarity, wisdom, I would say even excitement as we move toward Commitment Sunday next week. Now, another interesting thing about the story we're going to read today, it's the only miracle of Jesus that's found in all four gospel accounts. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now there's, there's definitely other miracles that are mentioned in, in a couple of them or three of them, but this is the only one that is mentioned in all four gospels. And to me, when it's the only miracle of Jesus that's written in all four gospels, it doesn't take a whole lot of knowledge to think, you know what, this is special. It's obviously something God wants us to know about, and he wants us to hear over and over again. And the story that I'm referring to is the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and though it's found in all four Gospels, what we're going to read today is from the Gospel of John. And so his version of it, his take on it. So if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, turn to John chapter 6. We're going to get there in just a minute. Um, while you're turning there, I want to set the stage a little bit. I think it's important that we do that because the other beautiful thing is because this story is told... In four different Gospels, it's awesome because you get to read from four different perspectives, which means you kind of can build a little bit better picture. Sometimes we have a story in Scripture, uh, and we only get it told from one angle, and so we don't get all the other details of what maybe was going on, or what other people said, or what other people were feeling, or how their take on it was. But so when there's something like this, it's from four different angles, it's, it's awesome because we kind of get to, to read bits and pieces from four different perspectives and get more of a complete picture as to exactly what was happening. So to set the stage, Jesus has just heard about, Jesus and the disciples just heard about John the Baptist being beheaded. Of course, that is going to move them in a, in a mighty way. Jesus is human, as we know. We've seen throughout Scripture that things bothered him. We've seen Scripture where he wept. So we, this is something that is it's heavy on their hearts. This has just happened. The Herod has just beheaded uh, John the Baptist. They've just gotten this news. They've also been teaching and preaching literally to exhaustion. Day after day after day, crowds of people surrounding them, um, begging for Jesus to heal their sick and, and uh, to teach them and, and provide for them. And, and again, the disciples are right there with them. And Jesus has given them power to, to do a lot of this as well. So at this moment in time, Jesus has just suggested to them, you know what, guys, we need a break. It's going to be, it'd be good for us to kind of withdraw to a quiet place and rest. And so that's what he suggested. So they load up in a boat. They head across the Sea of Galilee toward a town called Bethsaida. Now, I've mentioned this to you before. I know some of you all have been there as well. I've had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple different times. had the opportunity to go to Bethsaida. I've had the opportunity to, to sail across the Sea of Galilee. It's pretty incredible. One of the things I noticed when I was there that, that kind of helped this story and these kind of stories come alive even more 
It's really the size of it. Um, it. It's not as big as maybe I thought it was going to be, and I'm sure that today it's probably a little smaller than it once was. But because you can still go there and see, even though Bethsaida is not still a, a city where it's built up, but you can still see the ruins. You know, uh, we walked through there. We walked through this little bitty town. Um, but you kind of know where it was and where probably the water ended. And you could literally look across the Sea of Galilee, and you can see from Bethsaida, if you're over there, all the way across and see Tiberias. If you're in Tiberias, you could, look, you could have looked all the way across and seen um, Bethsaida. So I tell you that because obviously the fastest way, no matter where you were along the Sea of Galilee, if you were trying to get to the other side, a boat was going to be your quickest way to get there. But it would also have been possible for the people that were around them that were along this seashore to be able to see Jesus and the disciples and, oh, wow, they're all loading up on a boat and they're heading somewhere and see kind of where they were heading. And that's exactly what we see happening today is Jesus says, let's go, let's get away. They're going to head to Bethsaida with the thought of we're going to get away from this. The crowds see this happening. And of course, because they are desiring to be with Jesus and see more miracles and have him heal their sick, they just said, we'll walk. We'll we'll start our walk and we're going to get there. We'll meet them um, on the other side. And so this is kind of where we are. That's kind of setting the stage or the picture of what's happening uh, at this moment in time. And so let's pick it up in John 6. Uh, The first six verses, we'll start there. And it says this, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. That gives us incredible insight into this miracle. So if you are a underliner, highlighter, or whatever in your Bibles, I would suggest that you underline that, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, again, because we can look at this from different gospel perspectives, um, you know, I think of this moment, and, and you see kind of what's going on, and you're like, wow, um, these people are hungry. Jesus knew that this that this moment of this crowd's hunger was going to be this a time for him to not only provide but also it was going to give him this opportunity to show who he was and so it's a really incredible moment he also knew that this would give him an opportunity to shape the disciples faith as well and so when philip asked jesus where are we, where can we get the bread for all these people you need to understand he's looking around with human eyes and going this is craziness What do you mean? And again, if you read through the other Gospels, Jesus even, it says that when Jesus saw these people, I just described to you all the craziness that he's coming from. He's wanting to rest. It actually tells us in in other scriptures, other Gospels, that Jesus had compassion on them. He, such a heart for people. Our God is so good and so loving. And though he was exhausted and he'd already given so much, it says he had compassion on them. And so Jesus asked Philip, where can, where can we get bread for all these people? How's this going to work out, Right. Well, this is how how it continues. Seven through nine, it says, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So I want to stop for a second because Philip's answer to Jesus's question when he says, Jesus, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough money. And even if we had a lot of money, 
Do you realize it would, how much money it would take just to buy enough bread for everybody to take one little bite? I mean, he's basically looking at Jesus and saying, you're crazy. What do you mean? Where can we, where, there's no way we're going to have enough food for all of these people. And again, if you read the other gospel accounts, you find that they were also saying things like this. Stuff like, uh, we're in the middle of nowhere, Jesus. I mean, look around, right? We are in literally in the middle of nowhere. And their suggestion to Jesus, again, we get this from other accounts, was to send them away. Send them away. Send them to find food and shelter somewhere else. It's getting late. And they're basically saying, we don't need a bunch of needy, hangry people, Jesus. We don't need that. We're already tired. They're going to get hungry. It's getting late. They need shelter. They need food. Just send them away for now. They can come back tomorrow if they want to. These were, these were how the disciples were dealing with these questions that Jesus was asking. And Andrew, again, even he says, I mean, yeah, there's this little boy. He's got five little pieces of bread and a couple of little fish. But come on, Jesus. I mean, look around. What, what, what are you, why are you even asking these questions? And again, Remember what, Jesus, what it says, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. What Jesus was doing is he was letting them respond as he listens to their answers and their ideas. And he looks at them and he says, no, we're not going to send them away. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring me what you have, the bread and the fish. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men were there again the way that this is just in their times this way they would count five thousand men means there were women there were children so there was there could have been fifteen thousand people that were here five thousand was just the men so you got to imagine this is an enormous crowd but jesus says everyone have a seat and he is about to do something that no one who was present that day obviously is ever going to forget something so amazing that we're still literally talking about over two thousand years later Verses 11 through 14, this is how it went down. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the, the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. So crazy miracle, right? I mean, Jesus takes a little boy's two little fish, five little barley loaves, multiplies it to the point where he could feed 15,000 people and not just feed them, but don't miss that they were full. And not just that they were full, but then there's 12 baskets left over. One for each disciple. You can hold these as a, you know, here's a little example of what I can do. To me, it's very clear. Jesus is kind of showing off a little bit here, right? Why the extra? Why so much? I believe at least he's making a point that he can provide more than we could ever want or need. He's showing them that. He's showing us that. And so when we look at this amazing miracle, this incredible teaching moment in time, there's so many things for you and I to see and to learn, especially in this season that we find ourselves as a church. Yes, Jesus asked the question of where should we go get the food, but just like the text says, he's asking it on purpose. Why? Why would he ask that on purpose? I believe Jesus wanted to hear them use the words, we can't. I believe Jesus wanted to hear them say, we can't do this. I, I, I believe he wanted them to admit and to see, you're right. 
You can't do this. I believe he wanted to allow them the moment of time to give every idea, every plan that they could come up with that just somewhat would seem even somewhat possible and just to realize it's impossible. Jesus, you can imagine, I'm sure there was so much more that's even recorded that they just kept throwing out ideas. Do this then, Jesus. Do that. There's no way this is going to happen. It can't happen. No matter how many times they tried to come up with something, it was just impossible. But when they gave what they had to him, he had the ability to make what they thought was impossible, possible. And this is one of the first things that I want us to take away from this story this morning, that when we face what looks like an impossible task in our season that we're in right now, or even in our lives, whether that's raising $2.2 million, or it's a struggling marriage, or it's a sin habit, or it's a health issue, we need to reflect back on this miracle, and we need to remember we can't, but God can. Amen? We can't, guys, but God can. Church, trust me on this. If you haven't already had a time in your life where you only have God to lean on, you will. You will. Those times are coming. If they've not already come for you, they will come. And it's in those moments that God wants us to know and remember he already has a plan. He just wants us to trust him and to put it in his hands. And church, I believe with all my heart that God uses what we see as problems or impossible tasks to grow our faith and bring glory to his name. And he knew, I understand this, he knew that by bringing all this growth that we're seeing, don't for a minute think God was like, oh no, wow, I, I didn't have my eyes over there in Wachula. I didn't realize you guys had all those kids already. My bad. That, that's, that's not the way he thinks. That's not the way he sees things. He knew that bringing all this growth our way was going to cause a space problem. And he knew what, that, what we were going to have to do. He knew what it was going to cost to fix the space problem. And he knew we would freak out about the cost that it was going to take to fix the space problem. And he understands and he knows that we can't do it on our own. He gets that, right? And I think he wanted us to feel that. I think he wanted us to feel the, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We don't know what to do. And I believe he's waiting for us to figure it out and that if we will just trust him, trust him with what we do have. And I believe God loves to hear us cry out, Lord, we can't do this without you. And I think he just says, I know. I know. I know you can't do it without me. And the reason that he lets us go through this, these difficult and scary seasons is it forces us to trust him. And it opens up the opportunity for us to see just how great he is and how much he does love us. The challenge here in this story for the disciples was for them to keep their eyes off themselves and on him to work it out. They were looking at their problem as if they had to solve it themselves, which they knew they couldn't. And that's what caused them to think that it's just not going to happen. This isn't going to happen. They were relying on themselves. You remember when, you remember when Jesus, another story, but when Jesus uh, calls Peter, Peter's in the boat, right? And Peter, he, he, he taught Peter a lesson that day, which was really a lesson for all of us again. And, and Peter steps out of the boat, right? And Peter's walking on water. And you remember what happened when he began to look around, when Peter began to look around, he began to think, Oh, crap, I'm walking on water, and I'm not supposed to walk on water. Oh, no, you know, and he just kind of, remember what happened when he, when he took his eyes off of Jesus and he started looking around? What happened? 
Okay, thank you for you 20 Bible scholars. He sank, right? He sank. And throughout Scripture, God continually calls us, just like he did Peter. He said, listen, don't take your eyes off me. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was fine. The moment he took his eyes off of Jesus and he started realizing, oh my gosh, look at what's happening, he sank. God continually calls us to keep our eyes fixed on him, that he is the one who makes the impossible possible. The moment we, we start putting it on ourselves, panic is going to sit in. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 19. Remember when they were, they were all frazzled and they didn't understand how anyone was going to be able to be saved after they heard this whole description? And what did Jesus do? It says in Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus, this is what this says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So that's the second thing I want us to take away this morning. We must take our eyes off ourselves and put them on Jesus. As long as you and I look at things, especially really big, scary, difficult things in life through our eyes, we're going to freak out. We're going to give up. We're going to panic. We're going to retreat. We're just not going to do it and possibly even miss out on being a part of a miracle. But the moment they are fixed on Jesus, we have access to a peace and power that can't be found anywhere else. And the really cool part is when we do that, we have the opportunity to be a part of something miraculous. Now, whenever we learn about feeding of the 5,000, what happens is we typically hear about Jesus, the crowd, the disciples, but not very often do we hear about another person in the story. Yet to me, his, his, his story teaches us so much as well. And of course, I'm referring to this little boy who gave his little lunch to Jesus, right? No one in the crowd would have thought that this boy mattered, right? And maybe, just maybe, even though you've read this story a thousand times, you never really thought about the fact if he really mattered or not. I mean, no one would have imagined that what he was carrying in his little basket would not only end up being what Jesus uses, ends up using to feed thousands upon thousands of people with, but it would end up being the source of one of the most significant sermons that Jesus ever preached. Again, the only one that's listed four, all four times in all, all four Gospels. This one little boy in the crowd with a little bit of fish and bread was chosen by God to be a significant piece of Jesus' ministry and the revealing of who he was, that he was God in the flesh. No one knew that after this moment, literally every man, woman, child who trusted in Jesus, who would one day then turn around and read this Bible, would know about this boy, would know exactly what he had in his basket that day, and know how Jesus used him to help reveal his identity. Yet that's exactly what happened. So this little boy's role that he plays in this miracle, I believe, is worth talking about. I believe it's worth looking a little bit deeper into, because I want us to imagine for just a moment being that little boy. I want us to kind of try to go there best we can. First of all, you give up the only food that you have. And you have to be thinking probably that just like the disciples were thinking, right? This isn't going to do any good. I mean, there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. This isn't even going to do any good. And not only that, but now I'm going to be without food. At least I had something for me. 
Now I'm going to give this up and it's never going to work. It's never going to do anything. I mean, look at how big this crowd is. And not only is it not going to do anything, but now I'm out. And in a normal situation, you know what the truth is? He'd be right. He would be absolutely right. I believe if he, if he would have asked people around him, like, hey, can you give me a little bit of advice? They're asking me to give up my couple fish and, and my bread. They're asking me to give it up. And I think if he would have asked some people around him, they probably would have said, my opinion, you're stupid if you give them your food. Bro, look around. We're in the middle of nowhere. You're a little kid. You're going to need that. I don't think I would give it if I were you. Now someone else is going to get your food and you're going to be left with nothing. Which, of course, I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination that this is all too familiar with how we probably all feel at times whenever we sacrifice and we give. I mean, is this, is this going to leave me with nothing? Jesus, it's $2.2 million. I'm going to be without, and then we're not even going to, we're not going to have enough. Is that really what you, I should give? Really? Is God really going to show up? Is God, is giving the way that God is calling me to give really the smart thing to do? And those are normal feelings that I think we all feel, and probably ones that this boy definitely felt as well. And here's what I want you to know. It's for sure how you will feel if your eyes are on yourself. If your eyes are on you, if you're, if you're not, if this is, if you're not doing this biblically and your eyes are not on Jesus, you're going to feel this way 100%. And there's no way you're going to give. There's no way sacrificially. You may give something, but you're not going to give. We're not, none of us will give sacrificially as long as our eyes are on ourselves. But hear me on this church. The moment that we do what this little boy did and we place what we do have in the hands of Jesus, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. And I'm sure that many of us may feel like our little bit won't matter when looking at such a large number that we're trying to attain. And if we are putting it, if we were putting it in human hands, we would be 100% right. But I believe what God is asking us to do as a church is to give sacrificially, whatever that looks like for each one of us individually. And, and I, you know, you've heard us quote that over and over, right? It's, it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. And, and that's so true. I can't express that enough. Some of us don't have a whole lot. And I, there's probably truth in that some of you who don't have a whole lot, you're going to sacrifice more than some of us that have a ton. And we think we're giving so much because it's a big number, but it's hardly even scratching the surface compared to what you're sacrificing. And that's why all of us should be going to God because it, the number isn't the issue. It's the equal sacrifice. It's what God is calling you to do. And just like that little boy, I believe he wants us, whatever it looks like for each of us to do, he wants us to give it so we can see what he can do. And I believe that God is using this to grow each and every one of us in different ways. And I've already heard, we're just getting started with this, and I've already heard so many God stories from you guys, from families, and we're just getting started and, and I mean, literally, it seems like every day I hear another story from another family that says, listen, we decided to do this, and it's been so good. It's been good for me. It's been good for our, our marriage. It's been good for our kids to see and know, and we're blown away at what God is doing. There's already these God stories that are happening, and I think they're just going to continue. Just don't forget we are never without anything to offer. The Lord knows us all. He knows who, where we are, what we have and how we can be used.
He is the author over each and every moment. Literally, he is writing our stories. And beginning next week, you and I have the opportunity to be a part of this God's story. We can't forget that what we think is small and insignificant, when placed in the right hands, becomes more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's something that we've got to understand, focus on, and believe. You know, as I thought about this passage of Scripture, and I read the commentaries on it as well, my, my mind began to wonder some things like, what if this little boy had said no to the stranger who came and said that Jesus wanted his food? I mean, he had the ability to do that. What, what if he had grabbed his basket when they said that, or they just started looking at it, and they pointed out, like, that kid's got some, some food over there. What if he would have grabbed his basket and just kind of took off running and disappeared amongst the thousands of thousands of people? What if his parents were standing there by him? We don't know this. But what if they were standing there and they're like, no, we're not interested. You go, go ask somebody else. We're good. I truly believe that Jesus would have still made this miracle happen. You know what the big difference would have been? This little boy would have missed out on being a part of it. There's no way that this moment in time didn't radically change this little boy's life. No way. He would never forget this moment and what it felt like to sacrifice what he had and put it in the hands of the Messiah and watch the miracle his gift became. Imagine the testimony this little boy had and would have told the rest of his life that by divine power, a crowd of thousands were satisfied with physical food, which by, he would probably made sure he included with plenty of leftovers. And simultaneously, they were pointed to the one who is the eternal source of spiritual food. What an amazing story. Jesus does the impossible through a little boy in the midst of thousands upon thousands of people. And by the way, I want to make sure I say this. I'm in no way saying that this little boy should have gotten credit for what he did. It's only right that all of the glory went to Jesus for this miracle. But I just don't want us to miss the fact that the only way this little boy was able to be a part of something so much bigger than himself, literally a true miracle, was because when Jesus asked, he was willing to give and trust him with everything that he had. Church, we never know what God will ask of us. We never know when he will ask it. We, we never know ahead of time what will happen when he does. We never know how the Lord will redeem our little gifts and offerings and use them to change lives and spread the gospel. What we do know is just like on that shore, next to the Sea of Galilee, there's a crowd of people who have gathered once again, and there's a problem. It's not a lack of food this time. It's a lack of space. And currently a lack of funding to solve that problem. And we have to remember in this moment that we can't, but he can. We have to put our eyes solely on Jesus. And we have to bring our gifts and place them in his hands. I don't know if we understand this fully or not, but next week we all get the opportunity to be a part of the story that God is writing for us as a church and as individuals. And it is my prayer that we will come with the same trust and willingness to give as that little boy did. I hope we come next week 
just overjoyed and excited. I'm so excited to see what God does. I can't wait to tell the story to those who don't know just how big our God really is. You realize this is, get, this is going to get to be a part of your testimony. That is if you're going to be a part of this. I hope we will all choose to be a part of this story that, again, will soon be our testimony of how God used a little insignificant group of people to accomplish what so many thought was impossible. You've heard those words. I've heard those words from from some of you and some outsiders as well. They don't always come right out and say, oh man, that's impossible. That's dumb. But you can hear it in their voice. They don't believe that it's possible. They don't. We we shared with you even at the end of our uh, annual our annual meeting we that there's even those in financial fields that are scared to death of us that don't really feel confident in us. But here's the good part about this: it's not us. It's not us. It's Jesus. And again, if we want to look around at us, we should be worried. But if we want to bring whatever it is we have and we want to lay it at the feet of Jesus and we want to put it in his hands, we should expect a miracle. Church, let's put it in his hands next week and let's watch and see him do what only he can do. Amen? Amen. I hope you guys are in on this. I hope you want to be a part of this. Again, I'm looking forward to seeing what God does. And I can't wait to proclaim it from the mountaintops and give him all the glory and the praise for it. Let's pray.